Gospel according to St. Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. When the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him. On their way, they entered a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him, but they did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. When his disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, Do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. Then they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, First, let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Let us pray. Holy God, we confess to you that we are tempted by works righteousness, works of the flesh. Help us, dear God, to have faith in you, an active faith that trusts in your grace. And we thank you, Lord, for your grace, which sustains us each day. Amen. Otra vez, un pueblo rechaza a Jesús. Once again, another town rejects Jesus. Last week, it was Gerasa with the Gerasene demoniac. Today, we read about this Samaritan village. Why? Why did they not want Jesus to stay with them in their town? Well, the text tells us the reason is because Jesus has set his face toward Jerusalem. And that was a place where the Samaritans felt totally unwelcome. Samaritans were closely related to Jews. In fact, they might have even considered themselves Jewish. But as history and empires had washed through the Holy Land over the centuries, the Samaritans had stayed and commingled with outside empires who came in, such as Assyria and Babylon. Whereas 
the leadership of the Jewish people had been taken away to Babylon and had maintained a more distinct identity. So when they came back from Babylon, there was now a division between Samaritans and Jews, one group judging the other group to be impure, particularly in their flesh. We have reason to believe that, generally speaking, the Samaritans welcomed Jesus. We have several other stories, like the woman at the well, like other Samaritan villages that Jesus talked about, the good Samaritan. We have every reason to believe that the Samaritans welcomed Jesus' teaching of the kingdom of God and of God's grace being for all people. But when it came to his specific calling to go to Jerusalem, they said, no thank you, count us out, probably for their own self-preservation, because they were unwelcome in Jerusalem. And to go to Jerusalem with Jesus to proclaim the good news would have meant their persecution. And let's face it, they were right because that's exactly what happened to Jesus when he went there. So the disciples, los discípulos estaban ofendidos por la falta de apoyo de los samaritanos. The disciples then are offended by the Samaritans' lack of support. And so they ask Jesus, can we call down fire from heaven and burn them up? Kind of like we think of Sodom and Gomorrah. And to this, Jesus says very emphatically, no, don't do that. The disciples were tempted by works righteousness, works of the flesh, the very thing that Paul had talked about. Now, think about this. The disciples were generally pretty enlightened. They were following Jesus. They had love in their hearts. They didn't judge. They were learning how to include all people. And yet in this moment, when they didn't get the support they wanted, they fell right back into those old biases, and they said, let's just go ahead and burn up this village, because who needs them anyway? This is a temptation that we all face, that we all face, even when we are enlightened, even when we are inclusive and we know that all people are equal because of how we were raised, because of the world not being perfect, there are times when we are tempted by works of the flesh. Paul writes about works of the flesh in Galatians. And, you know, we sometimes think about that as sort of um, a purity teaching, you know, that Paul wants us to be, be pure with our bodies. And while that's certainly part of it, what Paul is also talking about is our own prejudices and biases. Works of the flesh are looking at different kinds of flesh and making judgments, whether it's the color of the flesh, whether it's the gender, and placing value based on that. Paul says, don't do that. Jesus says, don't do that. That is our old sin tempting us. Thankfully, we are saved by grace and not by our works, which means that God's grace 
gives and forgives each and every one of us, no matter who we are, with our imperfections, with anything that we've ever done wrong, God's grace continues to shower us with blessings and love and life. This past week, as I mentioned in the children's sermon, my family and I went camping. Esta semana pasada fuimos a acampar en las montañas Sierra cerca del lago Shaver. We went camping near Shaver Lake, and it was really nice. The climate was fresh, there was sun, clouds, and rain. We had wind and rain one day, the next day it was sunny, and then the wind and rain came again. So yeah, it rained on us while we were camping, but it was nice. It was nice to be in a mountain climate. It sort of felt very refreshing. At night when the clouds went away, you could see the stars. When we were camping, it smelled like smoke, wood smoke, because fires weren't even banned, which was really nice. So everyone had their own little campfire, a huge campground. And in the morning, you didn't just smell wood smoke, but you also smelled bacon and eggs and potatoes. So it was really nice. The children played, you know, nonstop, 24-7, until they passed out from being tired. And at one point... One of my kids looked at me and said, Daddy, I love camping, which made me feel really good. But you know, one of the things that I like about camping the most is it reminds us that we are all pilgrims. We're all travelers. We might be blessed to have a house that we get to live in or an apartment. We might not. Many of us who have worshipped with us have told me the hard times they've gone through of living in a car, living in a motel. We know that the homeless crisis in our state is a crisis, that there's not enough affordable housing. So when Jesus says that birds have nests, and foxes have holes, but the Son of Man has nowhere to rest his head. We can read into this very, very timely teaching. Con la gran cantidad de personas que no tienen casa, podemos aprender de Jesús. Another thing about camping that was really interesting was the way that you trust people. Now, when we're home in our house, we lock the doors. It's just automatic. Lock the doors. Lock the doors. Go to sleep. Make sure all the doors are locked. But when you're camping in a tent, that's not really an option. It'd be ridiculous to try to lock a tent, right? Just a pair of scissors, and it'd be all over. I remember camping this past week and kind of tapping my pockets and going, gosh, where's my wallet? Where's my cell phone? but I'm busy doing something, so I thought, well, I'll find them later. And then an hour goes by, where's my wallet and cell phone? I'll find it later. Eventually, I found them, and it was like sitting on a rock next to the next person's campground in their line of sight, and they didn't touch it. And here you had campsite after campsite after campsite after campsite, all these people. Nobody's stealing from anybody. 
We're all totally vulnerable out there, and we all trust each other. And it's a reminder of the goodness of humanity, of God's grace, that when we have to, we can coexist very peacefully. We can help each other. There's a lot of food sharing that goes around in campgrounds, too. You got too much food, you can't refrigerate it, so you share. So when Jesus talks about not having a home and not having a place to raise, rest his head, he might be reminding us of our nature, of that trust that we have in one another, the fellowship. When we do things like camp or have a potluck and we recognize that each of our own survival depends on each other. El profeta Eliseo realizó esta vida espiritual cuando él mató los bueyes y dieron comida a los hambrientes. We read an example of this when we read about the call of Elijah in our reading this morning. Thank you for reading, Sergio. In that reading, Elisha is plowing the fields. And as he's plowing the fields, Elijah comes and puts his mantle on him, one of these guys. And he says, you're up. You're going to be the next prophet. And Elisha, you know, kind of hems and haws for a little bit. And Elijah says, this is it. You got to do it. And so right then and there, Elisha slaughters the oxen from his family. That would not have been cheap. And he takes the plow and he breaks apart the wood, he builds a fire, and he cooks the meat. And then with all that meat, he feeds the people, assumedly the other workers, the farm workers, those who weren't fortunate enough to own the land, but work the land that still exists today. And he takes this food and he just gives it to them and he walks away. He walks away from his inheritance. He walks away from his land. He truly becomes like Jesus, even though it's before the time of Jesus, a prophet that has no home, no place to rest his head. And we might think to ourselves, gosh, this seems kind of radical. And it is. I mean, that's a radical thing to do. How can we live this out in our own life? when we depend on these resources for our own survival. Well, one of the things that we do to practice this every Sunday is stewardship. Stewardship. La mayordomía. When we gather together and we take a portion of what God gives us and we share it for the common good, and then we decide with those resources what we do, how we bless, how we teach children, how we feed the hungry, how we travel and do mission work. This is a step in that economy of generosity that we see Jesus calling us to and we see the prophets living out. Cuando nosotros damos nuestras ofrendas, es, un, es una disciplina de practicar vivir en una manera como Cristo. When we live by faith, we are free. We are free to trust that our survival doesn't depend on our work alone, but on God's grace and on the generosity of our neighbors. 
And that's why Jesus set his face to Jerusalem. He knew he wasn't going to live there, but he knew that he had to go there to share the good news. Vivir por la fe es exactamente esto, ser libre. No atado a un lugar específico, ni pueblo, ni estado, ni país. En vez de vivir en un lugar para siempre, es más importante ir a un lugar. Jesús no quiso vivir en Jerusalén, no creo, pero tenía que ir a Jerusalén por la fe. So may we each follow God's calling to go where God calls us and to share God's good news. Amen. We sing our hymn of the day, Here I Am, Lord. Please stand as you're able. <laughs>